you, you saw a picture of yak in Tibet, yak? They go, uh, uh, uh. Okay. All right, that's a good way to get people's attention. Uh, So again, I'm going to be going through the Tibetan. Uh, I don't mean to, uh, what do you call overwhelm people, and you don't have to worry about the Tibetan. I just, uh, I like, if, if I were you, I would like to know it's coming from a real source, an authentic source. And uh, there are people in the room who I have hopes for becoming translators. Or, and uh, I feel like it's my responsibility to pass it on the way I was taught it. Uh, but if but you can tune it out, okay? Uh, if it's overwhelming for you, so okay. I don't mean to overwhelm you. I just I just think uh, it's a big blessing to do it in the original, okay? Uh, all right. Mm. Then we were talking about the idea of kadampa. Uh, we were into a subject of the four wonderful qualities of learning this particular spiritual presentation. Uh, there are thousands of different spiritual presentations in many different faiths, and this is just one of them, uh, called the Lamrim, or the Steps of the Path to Enlightenment. And it is advertised as uh, a spiritual method which could get you to enlightenment. It's advertised as an instruction book to enlightenment, step by step. It's called step by step, like a lawnmower manual. It's, okay, so, uh, 
Before the Lama goes ahead and starts into the actual Lam Rim, the steps of the path, which are maybe, you could say, 20 or 30 realizations that are helpful to reach uh, in order to become enlightened. Uh, before we go into that, it's traditional to sell the Lam Rim itself. Okay, So like you're not going to be interested in attending the whole teachings if you don't think it's going to do anything for you. And so it's traditional at the beginning that you you talk up the Lam Rim, the idea of Lam Rim, the idea of uh, a step-by-step instruction book to enlightenment. Okay, So traditionally, they go through explaining four uh, beautiful qualities of this spiritual presentation, Lam Rim. And we finished uh, one and a half. Uh, the first one was... Uh, what was that... Huh? Yeah. Gel uh, Gelmaditemba means uh, you will. There are there are yeah there are there are about. I mean, we have scanned. We and our sister organization TBRC, we have scanned eight million pages of uh, of spiritual Tibetan spiritual books, and that's not. I don't know what percent that is. Maybe half. Uh, so in, in 8 million pages, if you study the Lam Rim, you will come to see that there's not a single contradiction uh, within those 8 million pages. That, And as you get more mature and as you study more and more and as you go through your life, you will come to appreciate a system which is really watered, what do you call it? airtight, waterproof, <laughs> airtight, and uh, it's just tight, and it and it's what do you call it? Logical. The whole thing makes sense. The whole system makes sense, and every part of it makes sense, and no part of it contradicts any other part of it. And and as you get older, you begin to appreciate any system, uh, which is coherent. You know, uh, as we start to question science itself, or banking systems, or the idea of democracy, or you know as we start to question these systems which have served us uh, and which may be showing false, false lines, then it's comforting to have a system which is coherent, completely coherent, and applicable to your life, which is the second great quality. Okay? Tamlaptushama. Every part of it is immediately applicable to your life. Okay? And then we talked about a spiritual stage that you reach where uh, you're sitting in a teaching, and they go through two hours of, uh, you know, scripture. And every sentence, every time the teacher speaks a sentence, you think, oh, I could, I could use that with so-and-so who bugs me. Or I could use that with, with my partner, on, on my partner. <laughs> or, you know, you, there's, a, there's a state of of bless it's a blessing right that you can reach where everything a teacher says is something immediately relevant to your own personal challenges and your own personal goals right uh, and that's called kadampa so we were talking about that concept of how do you reach the state 
in your yoga practice or meditation practice where everything seems to be a teaching that you could use for the problems in your own life and the, the things that you want to reach in your own life. Okay? So that's called Kadampa. We were talking about that. And now we continue. Okay? Chuditsamna Droetse Suram Gang Shelchena Nang Nyamlen to Dil Tupashik Ong. So you can be, uh, he's, he's continuing a line of thought about uh, you could see where everything you heard is not only relevant to your life, but if you study the Lamim carefully, you will have within your mind all the steps of the path, and you will know where any particular thing you hear. Like Jenny said some inspiring things in the yoga class today, which were inspiring for me. And then, because I've gone through this training, I can put her statements in, in the context of the whole trip to enlightenment, the whole journey to enlightenment over a person's life. I can say, oh, she's, she's talking about step 14 or something. And that fits beautifully there. Okay? So he says, Chundun Samla Drowitse. In the monastery, we're required to uh, do a lot of. There's a. What are the Yoga Sutra? What are the Kriyas? Abhinivya. No, I mean, what's the verse? Uh, Oh, well. Uh, Swadishtana. I'm talking about. No. Swad, Swadhyaya, okay? In the Yoga Sutra, it's called Swadhyaya, okay? It's the last of the Kriyas, I think. No, it's a, what is it? Niyama. Niyama. It's the last of the Niyamas. Uh, what are the first ones? Shaucha, Santosha, Tapa, Ishvara Pranidana, Pranidana. So, Swadhyaya, people misunderstand. Uh, they say self-study. Swa means self, adhyaya means study. Then uh, it's just a word that means to memorize scripture uh, and to learn scripture. Uh, so you just they just didn't know the, the definite, what it refers to. I don't know, it's like saying uh, laundromat means to clean a guy named Matt or something. Cause, <laughs> no, they took it apart and they, they didn't understand it. Uh, so swadhyaya means... Uh, Svadhyaya means uh, to learn and, and commit scripture to memory uh, so that it's part of your consciousness, you see. So uh, in the monastery, we do a lot of memorizing. By the way, memorizing is a skill that you can get better at, okay? Like if you start doing it, uh, you can do it more and more. And, and it's useful because when you're meditating, you can go through the library and you can... Uh, pull out. The whole essence of memorization, I'm not trying to sell memorization because nobody will do it anyway, but um, we, we're in the, in the monastery, the first thing we're required to memorize is a teaching by uh, Maitreya, who is the next Buddha to come on this planet. So I have in my head somewhere 75 pages of, of Maitreya, you know, and it talks to me sometimes. You see, Maitreya comes up in my mind sometimes, by, in the way that rock and roll songs come up in your mind sometimes. 
So he just starts talking, you know, like, hello, cowgirl in the sand, like that. And then, uh, you know, and it's nice to have Maitreya talking in your head. So anyway, he says, Chudan Samla, you could just be reciting something. Uh, so you can be like uh, just uh, reciting something and you hit a line and then suddenly uh, you will know where it fits in a, a lifetime of spiritual practice. Like Jenny's uh, comments before the yoga class today. Okay. Um, uh, it means uh, there are special little uh, how do you call them? They're like sheds or something like they're bigger than a shed and they're made of like adobe walls and and they're like little storerooms, okay? And they're called satakang, satakang. Say satakang. So satakang means, uh, it's like little uh, recyclable bins around Tibet. There are little recyclable bins around Tibet. They are little buildings, tiny buildings. And when you have a, uh, like a, a painting, a religious painting, or you have a statue or something like that, and the arm breaks off, and your dog eats it or something, uh, or, or something like that, the, the painting fell apart, and it's too old to use anymore, it's considered bad luck to throw it in the garbage. Uh, so you take it to a satakang, and you just put it there. You just set it there. It's like a blessed place, nobody will step on it, nobody will abuse it, and it, it can rest there. Okay, so, or if you have a scripture, see what happens with these scriptures, which are, they're this shape because they used to be palm leaves, right? And they kept the format after paper was invented. Uh, but they, they, don't, they don't bind them. So it's common that you would hand out pieces to your students. Here, memorize that by tomorrow. And then the kid forgets to give it back to you, and you forget to get it back from him. And then pretty soon the scripture is rendered unusable because every third page is missing. Then you would take that, you would buy a new one. They don't even use the word buy with holy objects. They say ransom. Uh, you ransom uh, a new one. And then you take the old one and you throw the pages in the satakam. You see? Uh, it's like your old ACI notebooks that are gathering dust on your shelf. Okay. So it says tana means... Uh, you could even get to a point where you could go to a satsakang. Satsa means those little clay images, right? That the FPMT overproduces. And, uh, no, I mean, because Lama Sapa tells them you have to make 10,000 in six years or something. But if they break, uh, they break easily. So you take them and throw them in a satsakang. So the place is called a satsa repository, meaning broken satsa repository. Shokya. Uh, you can go there, you can pick up one page of scripture at random. You know, an old page of scripture at random. And you can add that to your toolkit. You can add it to your spiritual, daily spiritual practice. There will be enough information 
on one page to become a useful addition to your own personal practice. Okay? It happened to me when we got the place on 6th Street in New York. Uh, I was walking down the street on the sidewalk on 6th Street on the north side, headed east. And uh, there was a, p- a page of scripture there, Tibetan scripture on the ground. And it was a sadhana for uh, Dukar. It means the, the deity of the white umbrella. And I kept it, and I read it, and it became part of, you know, it becomes part of your practice, okay? All right. Mm, that's Kadampa. Got it? Uh, all right. Kowa ngar chungukap gombo linkor kitsasa kan nangdi shokar chigla tepe. And then Pabonka Rinpoche says, when I was a child, uh, I was doing, uh, linkor means uh, I was doing circumambulations of the monastery. They do that for exercise, okay? Especially older monks. Uh, they walk around the monastery in the evening and they gossip. Okay. Uh, then I saw a page on the ground that had flown, had, the wind had blown it out of a satakang, out of a, a store shed. And uh, I picked it up. And it turned out to be a quotation from Gyalcho Kelsangyato which is the seventh, His Holiness, the seventh Dalai Lama, who was a very great tantric practitioner, okay, very famous. Gyatso uh, Sungur, and it was from his spiritual songs, okay, it was a, it was a page from his spiritual songs. Uh, and it said, Takchunki Pungwa Shunu Te Dangdenki Medo Chigne Chik Yudzamna Dorlen Chepa Tong Pen Didang Tsumbe Dunki Lu Nikduki Kyo Mangbo Shik that's a problem with the text. Anyway, somebody put in an extra syllable. Kechik la da nyengyur tong. Hmm. Lo tembe lo. Lo tembe dokbo nye manye. Okay, so that was a. There was a little poetry there, okay? Uh, this uh, little, uh, uh, what do you call uh, A bee or a fly, okay? Like we call it a bee, all right? Uh, a bee from Takchung, a young bee from Takchung. Dang Dengi Metal, lands on a Dang Dengi Metal, means like a saffron colored flower. Uh, and he flies from one to another. Like if you watch a bee, I have bees, and I have zinnias, and they like the zinnias. They come for the zinnias, and they don't like roses. I don't know. I guess what they like is not in roses, but they, they, they go, and they land, and they do something. I don't know what they're doing. Then they fly, and they go to another one, and then they go, and they fly. Another. And the, what do you call the The birds, the little nudnik birds. Hummingbird, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they also, they go like, uh, and then they go like, uh, and, they, and they don't. So he's describing a, a, a bee like that. You can see how they, they grab a flower, and then they just like, it's like throwing somebody's leg off your chest today. You know, that was a weird experience to have your legs thrown by somebody. But um, So they, they look all interested, and then they... They go, ah, not this one, and they fly to the next flower, right? 
Pedi Dansumba, there's a case in our life which is similar to that insect. Uh, nowadays in the days of dark, okay, Nikdu means uh, these are considered uh, dark days from one point of view in that the teachings of this Buddha are scheduled to get lost in the world uh, within the next, uh, I don't know, let's call it the next 2,000 years. They will die in this world. The teachings on enlightenment will will disappear from this world. This is called the bad times. Okay, These are the late times in the history of of these teachings in this planet. Okay. And a lot of people in these dark days, Semadak Rangin Nangsuki, their minds are impure. And then uh, we can see that uh, someone that we thought was our friend becomes in a few days our worst enemy. This is very common with boyfriends and girlfriends, right? Uh, you can, you know, someone you thought was your, the dearest person in your life, uh, once they say they don't want to go out with you, is now the worst person that you know, okay? Like, whether they changed or not is another question. Uh, but we can see inconsistency in people in these times, right? Uh, you, you don't know who's your friend and who's your enemy. Uh, I have not found in my life uh, a companion or a friend that I could really put all my trust in or all my faith in, you know. Of course, that's the person's own karma, right? They haven't been faithful or loyal or consistent with their friends and therefore they only meet that kind of people, okay? Uh, why it happens, we understand, right? He's not criticizing humanity. Uh, he's just making a comment on himself, really, okay? Che dupa, che dupa kebu drinking nepa mepa, nepa mepe nepa la jar cho cho re. But when I read that, those lines, it occurred to me that it fit perfectly into uh, the teachings on the people from medium capacity, right? Where you discuss the faults or the problems of this cycle of life called sansara, and it says things are uncertain. You know, things change. Uh, p- friends become enemies, enemies become friends. In a few months, right? Uh, it happens with your enemies also, right? People that you thought were incorrigibly against you, oftentimes when you open your heart and you talk to them, then you turn out to be your best friends, right? So it goes both ways. But anyway, life is unstable, right? Uh, that's our fault, but that's the way it is. So what he's saying, though, is that even as a child, picking up a single page of scripture that flew out of a garbage bin, right? He realized he could apply it to directly into that part of the of the of the whole flow to Buddhahood. Okay. <laughs> Now he's explaining the word kadam, kadampa. Okay, we did it already. I did it as an introduction. Now he got to the actual explanation. He says, that kind of experience where you can pick up any scripture, whether it's uh, by the Buddha or some commentary, 
and you can take a few, even just a few syllables out of it, and see that none of it is dor. Dor de mepa means. Uh, do you know the definition of samaya? We were. We got to talk about samaya, right? Maybe we're gonna. That might be the subject at the next great retreat teachings. We're not sure yet. But the definition of samaya is damsik, uh, right? In Tibetan, is dor de mirunga. Okay, Dodomirua means you can never, what do you call it? Uh, disavow. <laughs> That's a good word, right? Disavow. Okay, uh, you can never disavow it. Uh, it's the definition of a, of a samaya or, or a pledge, uh, a sacred pledge. Uh, so he's saying he doesn't use it for pledges, he uses it for any few lines out of any true sacred book are Dorda Mirunga. You, you can never discount them or disavow them. If you are in the right frame of mind, even Time Magazine and even the New York Post uh, can teach you something, okay? Uh, it can be some kind of... We call it not just teach you something, but it can be a, a message from Divine Source. Uh, and then he says, and that's what it means to say dam, uh, uh, kadampa. Okay, that's the meaning of kadampa. Then he's going to quote something to back him up. Right? Uh, in Buddhism, you you normally support a statement in two different ways. Uh, you you quote an authority, and you then you prove it logically especially in the case of someone that you're talking with who doesn't accept that authority. Okay. So, okay. So he's going to but he's going to tell a story. Deje Dagni Chambo, the Mahatma. Who's he talking about? Who's the Mahatma? That's the Tibetan translation of Mahatma. If you were, you know, Pabongkrimpache, who would be Mahatma for you? Jatsongkhapa. Okay, the teacher of His Holiness, the first Dalai Lama, who started our lineage, right? He invented this vest. I don't know why. It's kind of weird. He put the blue thing on there and everything. Okay. Jay Dagni Chembu, Kachu Rinchen Pel. So he had a student called Kachu Rinchen Pel. Rinchen Pel is a personal monk's name. Kachupa means uh, it was like a geshe in the old days. It was like a little bit less than a geshe, and it meant someone who had mastered ten different subjects. Kachu means ten different subjects. Kachupa Rinchen Pella, Kadam Shepe Dun, Kaying Kadi Nawa. So Jetsankaba asked his student, what do you think is the definition of Kadam? How would you describe Kadampa? Okay? It's cool, right? It's interesting. Uh, okay? He said it means if you took all the teachings of the enlightened beings and you took over even a single line out of it, you would never disavow that line or you would never think that was a waste of time or not relevant to my life. Okay? It's the perception that every single sentence of a spiritual teaching is relevant to your personal situation. That's how he answered Jetsunkapa, okay? Damgatu Charwa strikes you as relevant to your personal struggle right now, you know, that 
the issues going on in your life today, this week, every sentence of, of this teaching should be directly applicable. If they are, then, you're, then you reach Kadam, Kadampa. Okay? Jay Rinpoche, Yin Shu. Shu is very beautiful. Yin Shu means he, he preferred this uh, response. Okay? It, we don't say to a high lama that I told him. You know, you say, I offered him my words. You know, he offered those words to Jatsun Kappa. Jay Rinpoche, What's Shinto? Shinto means a lot, very much. Shinto. I like it because it's the only, it sounds like what it is, right? Shinto Nye. Nye means he was really pleased by the answer. Okay? Shinto Nye Nye. Which is really rare with a lama, with your teacher. Kachuki Tsosu Yang. Tering Kachu Loke Chambo Chinchun. Uh, then he, he announced in the teaching, today I got a nice teaching from my student. You know, today my student has given me a nice teaching, which itself is a kadampa. Got it? If there's something deeper here, right? The teacher is saying, my student gave me an answer, and it sounded to me like the Buddha himself was talking. Which is, uh, if you're a real kadampa, and you start to teach you will have this experience constantly, if your heart is open, right? That your students are teaching you all the time. And then you start to wonder who's who. Okay? And it's supposed to be like that. I mean, the whole exercise of being a teacher, ultimately, uh, in the end, you realize you were the student all along. Okay? So thank you. Uh, it's been fun. Dita uh, Ser. I like what he said. He praised him. Okay? So, you can even begin to see, you begin to see on one hand that every sentence you ever hear in a teaching has its place in the whole flow of a lifetime of spiritual practice. You can, you can position it in the flow of a lifetime of spiritual practice. And I guess if you're a really good Kadampa, you might see the whole flow within that teaching, right? Within that sentence. You should be able to go both ways. We talked about it with the dice, right? In the, in the, in the cushion. Okay? You should be able to see that Anything someone says applies to the path as a whole, but you should also begin to have the experience that anything someone says contains the path as a whole. Okay? Then he says, he, he does an interesting thing. He says, Any, anything you learn strikes you as being relevant to the flow of a person's lifetime spiritual practice, right? 
And then he says, or rather, should I say, my own. Okay, you see? So he says, not, not third person, you know. Oh, it strikes me as relevant to my own journey, my own lifetime of spiritual practice. Okay? Detamje Sangela Sokbe Rankone Chedu Sumba Tabo Shikone Detamje La Kupa Yang Shitu Chambuke Yong. If you reach a point in Kadampa, and this is where I, uh, there's a homework question I think at this point, and it's a phenomenon we talked about yesterday, and now he mentions it here, you know, very commonly. In a large teaching, uh, you know, more than a few people in a group, uh, you'll be sitting there in the back row. You go to the Dalai Lama's teaching in Washington D.C., and you're sitting in the back row of five thousand people. He's about an inch high, and uh, then he starts off on some, uh, like you had a fight with your boyfriend that morning. And your boyfriend was telling you that you never listen, and that uh, you're always interrupting her. Sorry, him. Okay, and and you know he can't get a word in edgewise. And then you're like, no, that's not true. You know, I listen. I'm a pretty good listener. Then you go to the in the afternoon. You go to the Dalai Lama's teaching, and he gets up there, and they go through the three hours of prayers, and then he starts he starts talking, and he says, today. I'd like to talk about not listening to people, you know. And you're like, damn, how did he know, you know? And like, and then you, you get this weird impression that he's criticizing you directly, and your boyfriend called him uh, before the talk and said, "Could you first talk about this? Because she'll be sitting in the back row." And, and you know what I mean? And I wanted to mention the phenomenon because it's considered a, a high blessing. Uh, see, your need, if the person giving the teaching is supposed to be some special being, or if the scripture is some kind of special message from enlightened beings, then two and a half thousand years ago, Lord Buddha arranged that that sentence would be the first one taught by the Dalai Lama in the talk you went to, because he knew you would need it. Because two and a half thousand years to an enlightened being is like looking at the palm of your hand. It's nothing for them. Okay, So then you start to get this really beautiful appreciation of what it is to be enlightened. You see? A person two and a half thousand years ago, sitting in an Indian village under a tree, uh, says something because he knows that on such and such a date in a land called Amegwa, uh, much later, you know, you will be sitting in the last row. And, and you should appreciate that it was designed for you. You're not crazy. You're not, what's the opposite of paranoia? Huh? Like everyone's out to help me. You know? <laughs> okay, like I'm sitting in a bunch of everyone's enlightened except me, and they, they're there's all Geshe Michael. You teach today, huh? Uh, you see, like I don't know, benign paranoia. I don't know. Uh, you, it's healthy. It's a good thing. It, it's probably true. Okay. 
Anyway, thanks for letting me teach. I enjoy it. Uh, then you will automatically get a greater love and affection for these teachings. You will come to really enjoy them and love them. You say, oh, let me have some more. You know, Maybe he's got something else in there that I was supposed to hear today. Got it? Maybe two and a half thousand years ago he, he had something else in mind for me to hear today. Got it? All right. Nelljoka Changchu Brinchen Ki Tangaklan Nangchen Chipani Pupum Laktilsam Shiklan Nepa Nepa Lami Serki Suram Tamje Dangatu Kovala Serva Yin Sumba Yang Titar Koko Nelljorpa Changchu Brinchen Ki Tangakla Nangchen Chipani Pepum Laktilsam Shiklan Nepa Nepa Lami Ser so then there was a famous lama. Neljorpa means the Tibetan translation of the word yogi. Uh, the yoga practitioner named Changju Rinchen. Uh, he was trying to explain what it meant uh, to receive personal instruction. Right? What does it mean to have a for a realization to be triggered in your heart by something that is in the scripture? What is what is that? What's happening? He said, it's not that you're holding in your hands some rare ancient book of scripture. Biubum means uh, annals, like analects or annals, okay? Ancient, some ancient weird book, okay? It's not that you crack an ancient book and discover its meaning, he says. Sunram tamje damnatu ko Koala sir, to to receive personal instruction means that you understand that all the teachings ever given were designed as personal advice for you. Okay, the two hundred thousand, the ten million pages of scripture in Tibet, or including the Bible and whatever was ever written in any language in this world, anything you've ever heard of. Uh, what's his name? Rumi. Or, doesn't matter, okay? Anything you ever read, you will reach a state in your life where you will appreciate that it was a message sent to you by an enlightened being, okay? Any book you pick up at the airport bookstore and glance at a page and then run to the gate, uh, that page was meant for you. And it was put there in the airport bookstore by an enlightened being for your benefit. Okay? You will reach a point in your life where you will you will get that and then you are Kadampa. Okay. Sikti Ditsavatabuin. you can consider that the main teaching on this subject. Just that last line about the airport. He says. Okay. How do I get to uh Okay. What do I need exactly to reach Kadampa? Somebody asked him a question. 
You know, how much do I need to reach Kadampa? Okay, what do I have to do to get to get to that? To where I can walk into an airport bookstore and see a few lines in a book, and it strikes me as meant for me. Okay, what do I need to get there? Lamim, tapatsamgi chokam nyamna. Do I really have to go through this whole book? Okay, do I have to go through the whole lamim, or you know, what's a minimum? Okay. Uh, uh, all of that information is included in the various teachings called Lamrim. And some of them are very short. We mentioned one yesterday that's 14 verses. It fits on the single side of a page, right? It doesn't matter whether it's a very long book, like this is one of the longest lamrims, or it's a very short thing like the single page uh, lamrim, like Lamsum Namsum, the three principal paths. It doesn't matter how big it is, but you must grasp its contents in full. Okay? If it's 14 verses, you have to understand all 14 verses. I think 14 verses is the record uh, for a Lamrim. And of course it's held by Jetsunkaba. Okay, and he did it. He got the whole thing into 14 verses. We translated Pabonka Rinpoche's commentary to that. And I think it's one of the first books we ever printed. I think it was 1979 or something like that. Uh, but you can, it's called The Three Principal Paths. So there's a nice commentary by Pabonka Rinpoche on those 14 verses, and that's the shortest you can get. But if you grasp the whole thing, you can reach Kadampa. Okay? If you know the 14 verses well, then you can reach Kadampa. Okay? If you learn to chegom the things that need chegom, and if you learn to jogom, the things that need jogom. Got it? So here's an interesting line because it includes a traditional explanation of the different types of meditation. Okay? So our tradition uh, recognizes uh, three different, vastly different types of meditation. Okay? One is called jogom, and that's where you put your mind on a, on a, on a single object and you hold it there. So this morning we were doing kind of a jogam. Uh, if you, for example, put a vision of your heart teacher's splendid, beautiful body and, and, and being in front of your mind and just sit with them and enjoy being with them, that would be jogam. Okay? Uh, chegom means uh, problem-solving meditation. Like somebody says... Uh, it's possible to reach a point in your spiritual evolution where you can walk into an airport bookstore, close your eyes, go to a corner, pick out a book, open the page at random, and there will be a message on the third line for you from God. Okay? Then, then you're like, I don't know about that. You know? I don't know if that really makes sense. I gotta think about that. Okay? If you take that statement and tear it down and examine it, and, and debate it in your own mind, that's called chegom. That's the second kind of meditation. Okay? Chegom. Jogom, 
single-pointed meditation on a single object. Chegom, work out a problem in your mind. Okay. Then shargom. Shargom means uh, <clears throat> take your mind through a preset series of thoughts and burn a new synapse for it. Okay? Uh, you know, like, I don't know. Uh, the diff- we, ta- we did yesterday in the meditation class, we did uh, seven steps uh, for warming up in a meditation. Then you might go through them over and over until they become part of you. And that's called uh, shargam. Okay? A new synapse is burned in your mind. Okay? It becomes part of your, your character, uh, your being. You burn it into your being. Okay? So those are the three. He says, you've got to learn to jogom what you have to jogom, and you have to learn to chegom what you have to chegom, and you've got to learn to shargom what you have to shargom. You have to learn to nyamla do care, how to put it into practice at work with your girlfriend. Shepa shik chungna. If you get to that point, surakang jal yang rangi nyamlangi mukodelande te soso ja cho cho yang. Then you'll be able to, then you'll reach a point in the long rim where anything you hear will be something you can assign to the whole flow of a lifetime of spiritual practice. Chok chok is a nice word, okay? Those of you who are learning Tibetan. Chok uh, chok, you say chok chok. No, you got to do it right. Chok chok. Chok chok means, uh, I want to do it right. Chok chok. Sa chochore means uh, it's totally ready to eat. Just bite. Okay. Chocho means totally ready. Okay. Sa chocho means totally ready to eat. Dro chocho yin. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm totally ready to go. Just let's get in the car. Okay. Jar chocho means totally ready to apply it to my spiritual practice. I, the last line here says dayang. Jok. The last line here has three words. Jok dayang. You should also meditate single-pointedly. So I look at that line. I look at those three words. I'm jar cho cho. I can jar cho cho that. I can jar cho cho that. You know? Yeah. I can apply that. Yeah. It's talking to me. Geshe Michael, you got to be more focused. He's talking to me. That's jar cho cho. I'm ready at any moment to apply any three syllables from this book to my personal life. Okay? Maybe you got too many projects going on, you know? How are you going to... How are you going to do the guardian angel thing? I mean, you're going to get behind, you know. Maybe you ought to chok chok. Okay? <laughs> okay? All right? That means you've got to be ready on a moment's notice to apply something to your own life. Okay? You go in the store, you catch a little bit of a conversation between two people in aisle three, and you're like, they're talking to me. Okay? Like, where's the oatmeal? I, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, if you want to make this point more easy to understand, we could go to a metaphor that my own dear Lama used to pull out to, to demonstrate, to illustrate uh, this, this teaching. Okay? If you're a guy who's like in the middle of a famine, all right, and there's no rice, and there's no wheat, and there's no beans, which are the three main things in Tibet. Okay, next to barley. Uh, 
So then somebody comes up and gives you a, a teaspoon of, a, let's say they give you a tablespoon of rice, okay? Okay, you and your family are starving. And uh, someone says, we're delivering aid to you. You know, aid is coming. And you're like, yes, you know. And then some guy knocks on the door and says, I got the package for you. And you're, you're like, okay, let me see. And he holds out a, a tablespoon of rice. Got the image? It's not worth it. There's nothing you can do with it. Okay? The only reasonable thing to do with it would be to toss it out. Okay? What, what the hell do you want me to do with a teaspoon of rice? You, know, you, just, you wouldn't even try to eat it. You just go, how's this going to help us? You know, and you just throw it. Okay? They shindu lamki kangdang matsangna Surab and Jeliang Kangi Tedu Char Gurmi Shepe Nyamsulan Mi She. Then some people don't go through the whole instruction. Okay? They get part six or they get part seven. Okay? They don't learn the flow. They don't learn the whole all the steps. They just get a little bit here and a little bit there. He said, just dump it. What's the use? Okay? It's not going to be able to use it. Which gets me to a point, okay? One day, Rinpoche gave me this lecture, all right? We were leaning over... This is a cool thing, I mean, if you really want to know. The Dalai Lama's senior tutor is named Kyabje Ling Rinpoche, right? Uh, he passed away, and I forget. He came to the United States. I was his driver for a day when I was 26. So, I don't know, it's 1978, okay? And... Uh, then he passed away. And then, uh, of course, they found in his reincarnation. Okay? So then, uh, at a certain age, the reincarnation comes to the home monastery, which was Ganden. Debun? I forget. Anyway, he was Debun. Anyway, uh, they are installed on the throne and they become the new incarnation, right? So there's a big ceremony. And it, there was a lot of, you know, we were in a line of cars that went from the airport to the monastery. It was like 40 miles or something. And it was a huge line of these cheap Indian ambassador cars. In, in those days, they only made one car in India uh, so that you could interchange all the parts all through the country. It was, a, it was a national policy. You couldn't have other cars. Uh, so if you broke down on the road, you could just go and take one out of somebody else's car. And uh, so anyway, we're in this long procession, and uh, our car breaks down. Uh, Lati Rinpoche is in the car, very high lama from Ganden. And then uh, he... Uh, the thing is smoking, and there's water overflowing, you know, and... and we're all like, oh, dang, you know, and all the other cars pass us, and we're not going to make it to the interment. And, and uh, the driver gets, this Indian driver gets out, and he opens up the hood, you know. And all these high lamas are in the car, you know, and me. And, uh, and they all cluster around the, the engine, you know. And, and I'm like, what are you doing, you know? I mean, you, you don't know anything about a car. You never saw an engine in your whole life. You know, Rinpoche never saw a car till he was about... 40 or something at all. And then uh, I'm like, well, 
you know, he says, then they start to ask the driver, what's this thing? You know, that's ignition. What's it do? It starts the car. What's this thing? It's a fan. What's it for? It makes the car cool. And then Lati Rinpoche goes like, it's a cylinder, number three. You know? Like he, he just understood. You know, and then they went and stole one or got one. And, and they replaced it. They replaced it right there on the road. You don't go to a garage. And then uh, we made it to the internal. I mean, they made it. They made me stay in the car. It was like 200 degrees in the car. And they all ran and got in the front row anyway. So anyway, why did I talk about that? Um, yeah, what was he teaching me? I don't remember. Oh, yeah. It was Ken Rinpoche. Then Ken Rinpoche used to talk about it and say, uh, if you had a car engine and you just took out two or three parts at random, would it work? Would the engine work? And, and you've got to say no. Okay? Like, would it look like an engine? Like, if you took out a couple... Well, you can take a piston out, but... You know, if you took out a couple of crucial parts from the inside and just threw them out, uh, would the engine work? And you say, no. Would it look okay? And then you say, yes. And he said, that's the danger of a lot of different spiritual approaches or, or techniques, is that they are missing one of the crucial parts. Like, it's a belief in the Tibetan tradition that to reach the goal of your spiritual journey, there are certain parts that have to be there. And if one of them is missing, you will die before you get there. You won't get there. It's just like a car with, with a crucial part missing. And the teaching can look good. You know, the, the book can be interesting, it can be sensitive, it can have a lot of good ideas in it, uh, but it's not complete. And it, and it won't work. Uh, in the long run, it won't take you where you want to go. If certain parts are missing, uh, you cannot succeed. You will die before you get there. Okay? Mm, so that's what he's saying about the teaspoon of rice. Uh, it's not enough to learn a few of the steps. Like to be really good at meditation, but you don't know anything about uh, impermanence. Or to be really good at emptiness, but you don't understand the seeds. Or something like that. If, if, if one of the crucial parts is missing, you won't make it. Okay, that's what he's saying. All right. Jay Yang, Kangite de Jar, Komishe, If you can't, in your mind, picture the whole flow of a lifetime of spiritual practice, what you need to do to get someplace, if you don't have that, a grasp on all the steps you need to get there, then, then your practice won't succeed. Okay, so you have to have in your mind a general picture of where you need to go and what you need to go through to get there at the beginning. Uh, or you won't make it. Your practice won't make it. You'll die. You'll get old and die, and, you, and that'll be the end of it. Okay? Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Della de Parakanyenang, Rangit de Teng de Nunchok. If you already have a couple of big jars of rice and beans and what was the other thing? Wheat. And then someone gives you a handful of rice, what do you do? You go open the rice jar and you throw it in and you have a little more rice. You see what I mean? So he's saying, first get everything. And then every new thing you learn from Rumi or from Book of... What's it called? Uh, what Book of Miracles or something. Course in Miracles. Yeah, or whatever you hear. At, we went to a Muslim service in uh, Montreal. And then you can take some wisdom that you got from the Muslim service and you have a place to keep it in, your, in the whole flow of your lifetime plan for where you want to go in your life. Okay? But first you need the plan. Then you can go shopping and take a little bit out of here and take a little bit out of here and add it in the right places to, to your program. Okay? But you have to have a program. Nunchok. Okay? There's Chok Chok again. Same thing with, the, with your plan for your life's practice. Uh, it's like the grain. Okay? If you have a plan, then, then if uh, you go to a yoga class and the teacher makes some inspiring remarks before the class, you, can, you have a place to keep them. The treasure, it's like a treasure, right? You, have, you can go put them in your, what do you call that? Ladies keep a, uh, a, jewelry, uh, a jewelry box. What do you call it? You keep all your jewelry in there. Like it's usually a nice wooden box or something, and you go digging around for the other half of those earrings. And, right? So if you have a box, then you have some place to put what you hear in the world from everybody. Okay? And you can say, oh, what Jenny said this morning, uh, that's a reminder to me that I need to work harder on step number three. But you have all the steps ready in your head, and you know where you're going. It's like uh, Google Maps before you take a trip. Okay? Like you got some weird address, you don't just take off. You, you go online, and, and you get a... I don't know about you, I go through the whole thing in my head, like I, I imagine all the streets... And I get, kind of get it into my head. Then I write it down also, but I don't trust it because I might not have time to look at it. So I have a general knowledge in my head of how to get to the new vision center from Rimrock. And uh, you need that. Okay? Then if Ningbo says uh, it's another two miles, I know where to fit that statement into the whole map. Okay? We'll go another few minutes, okay? Then I'll give you a break. Afternoons are a hard time to have a teaching, and I'm sorry for that, but we have a lot of teachings to do this week. This is cute. It doesn't matter if the long rim you study is short or or long. It should have all the step, all the car parts should be there. All the engine parts should be there. The essential engine parts should be there. Okay. The furniture in the mansion of a wealthy nobleman 
and the furniture in the cell of a solitary monk are both enough. Okay? They have... Their, their residence is fully furnished. It doesn't matter which one. You know? Got it? Okay? Each residence is fully furnished. And so you can do this 10-year long rim, or you can do... Go to the Casa Hardin in Glendale... Uh, where the teachers here are teaching the, these, the, the, the briefer works, and you can go for a three, four day thing, and, and that's it. You are a monk with, uh, you know, all the furniture you need for a small, a small place, okay? And, but it's complete. It's enough, okay? Let me see again. Tempa tamje gyame di topa dang suram malupa danga tu chawala kepar yang dayin. Okay, I'm going to pose a logic question to you. Okay, this is a typical debate question. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you grasp the first of the four greatnesses, do you automatically grasp the second? If you realize that all these teachings are internally consistent, do they necessarily strike you as personal advice for your own situation? Good. I don't think so. I think you're correct. What about the opposite? If every, everything you learn strikes you as personal advice, do you come to appreciate that all those teachings have no internal consistency? Inconsistency. Good. Yeah. That's the point he made. We say, Kyaba Gochuk. There's a, it's true uh, this way, but it's not true that way. Got it? Okay. If they all seem, if they all strike you as personal advice, they must be consistent because your life is one life and they all apply to that one life. Okay? But if you have, uh, what was the first one? <laughs> if, you've, if you've understood that they are consistent, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have struck you as personal advice for your own situation. So he's just trying to get your mind a little more flexible. And you, you learn in the monastery to think like that. Is num does number one imply number two? Not necessarily. Does number two imply number one? Always. Got it? That's cool. You got that easier than I did. Sumba Gyawe Gomba he has reached the third of the wonderful qualities of this spiritual presentation. I'll give you the name of it, and then we'll take a break. Okay? Galway Gomba Delak Dunyepa. Okay? Galway Gomba Delak. Say Galway. Gomba Delak Dunyepa. Buddhism, I don't know, people ask me sometimes, is it a religion? You know, and uh, people ask me, why are you going out and teaching thousands of business people? Why don't you, you know, uh, just a couple, have a couple of Buddhist teachings around? And um, I, I've, I've come to realize that I view Buddhism not so much as a religion, as a, as a, a collection of cool ideas. Okay, so for me, it's not so much about worshiping someone or, 
or uh, following a certain uh, rituals or things like that. For me nowadays, and in my, I think mature thinking about Buddhism, um, it strikes me as a collection of extraordinary ideas that could be shared independently of the traditions which have carried it before. You know, I don't think you have to drink butter tea and eat bar- roasted barley flour to study these ideas, you see? Or, or keep a particular picture on your, in your house. I, I don't see where it matters much anymore. In my life, I, I don't think it matters much. It's a, Buddhism is really, or at least what I was taught, or what you're learning, it's really just a, a number of car parts, right? Engine parts. It's a, it's a bunch of beautiful, exquisite ways of seeing life and ways of understanding how things work that can bring you whatever you want. You know, uh, you want health, you can have health. You want a, an exquisite relationship with someone, you can get it. You want money? I made a $250 million company, okay, with no business experience. I don't know anything. Uh, you can make things happen in life, in your life, uh, that are extraordinary, because those ideas allow you to tweak reality. They, they allow you to change the course of the future. You can adjust the course of your of your of the future. You can change the future if you understand these concepts, right? And you can save the world. You can you can contribute to the happiness of every person on this planet. Okay? To me it's it's a collection of ideas like that. It's not a I don't care whether you accept the Dalai Lama or I I don't care. And I don't care if you think about Tibet or not. I've never been there. Uh, and I don't care. It doesn't. All those things don't matter. You know, whether you meditate with your left foot up first or your right foot up. All these things, I don't care. Uh, I just like to take those ideas like little candies and and spread them around the world. You know, and they help people, and people become extremely happy and successful uh, and peaceful. Uh, so. But, but to do that, uh, you have to master those ideas. You have to learn them, right? You have to hear them, and then you have to mull them over, and then you have to try them out in your own life. Because people don't listen to what you say, they listen to what you do. You can talk all day, and I am. Uh, but in the end, people will watch you and they will do what you do. People are like children. You can't teach children. You can only be something, and then they will try to be that also. You know. So, uh, how do you get into the mind of an enlightened being and sort of pluck those fruits from their head? You see? How do you get into the mind of an enlightened being and into the candy store, like loose in a candy store with a, what do you call it? White, what do they call it when you can spend, you have carte blanche, yeah, white card. You have carte blanche, you know, 
here, here's the key to the candy store. Take what you want. You know, see you tomorrow. And then you're like a kid alone in the candy store, and your mom said, we own the store. <coughs> you can eat, take whatever you want. And then, you know, how do you get into a, the mind of an enlightened being to pluck the things you want? You know, how do you get carte blanche? Learn this. Learn the Lamrim. Because there are teachings about how to enter the mind of an enlightened being and pluck what you want. Okay, got it? There's a system, there's a method to getting into the mind of an enlightened being. There's like a combination to the safe. And then you can go in and, and just take what you want. Okay, so the next great quality of this tradition of teaching is that it gives you the skill, the skill set to break into the vault of an enlightened being's mind. Okay? Got it? It's a beautiful idea, right? Okay, so we'll do that after the break. Okay, have a nice break. We'll come back in... Wait, five, ten minutes, okay? Ten minutes, fifteen. Okay, <laughs> bye. We'll ring a big bell, then you got to come fast. Okay, well, uh, I thought we'd do some question and answer. We have like 20 minutes. And uh, in the afternoons, I thought to pep you up, uh, maybe we would do some questions and answers. If you don't have any, I'll just do more scripture. But I, uh, I felt like, uh, I don't know, sometimes a lot of beautiful things come out for everybody's sake. So anybody have a question? And please, uh, do you have a mic that works? Okay, pl uh, please speak into the mic. This is not speaking into no. the mic, you see? <laughs> uh, you hold it right up to your mouth and uh, ask a question. Then everybody can hear. Okay. Uh, I wanted to ask it this morning during the meditation question and answer. I was wondering if there's a scriptural definition for the present moment. Because definitions are always very helpful. And okay. Uh, is there a scriptural definition of what the present moment is? Mm. One thing to repeat is that uh, there's a teaching in the Abhidharma Kosha, right? You've heard the word Dharma Dhatu, right? And um, there's a teaching in the Abhidharma system which says that we are always a millisecond behind, right? It's like when uh, we don't get the light from a star for 300 years or something. Before, like the star might be gone before the light reaches the earth. Uh, it's the same with what someone says to you, right? Your ear picks it up. Uh, the, the eardrum vibrates. It's transmitted to the audio nerve. Uh, it goes through your jaw, it reaches your mind. Uh, by the time you process it, uh, the original words are finished. You're living a moment in the past. But it's so short a time, I don't think it really matters much. Um, it's useful to explain certain parts of your consciousness. Uh, so that's one part of the answer. The other part of the answer is where they get into your, the answer of your question about what is time or what's the definition of the present moment is treated in um, uh, 
Madhyamika, right? Uh, middle way, the highest of the schools of ancient India. And the debate is, uh, can, are the three times things? Is the future and the past and the present a thing? And then you say, yes, they, they are an existing object, right? They are, they are an object. Uh, then the question comes up of, are they unchanging or are they changing, right? Uh, what would you say? Yeah. Are they momentary in their nature? <laughs> Anybody agree? <laughs> uh, no, I mean time is passing. Yeah. Time keeps on flowing, flowing, flowing into the future. That's before your time. That's Steve Miller. <laughs> Uh, no, it changes, uh, which means that it does something. Does the past function? Does Lincoln's assassination affect you? No. Yeah, it does. I mean, or the attack on Pearl Harbor, or the fact that Gaddafi was murdered two weeks ago or something. These, are, uh, these events are still affect us. So according to scripture, uh, they are functioning things. That means uh, they exist in the present. Uh, because they affect the present. You can't take something which is gone already and say, it changed my life. You see, if it changes your life, it means it must be there somehow to change your life. So the higher schools recognize that past, present, and future uh, could be considered functioning things and in a sense present, existing in the present. Because the, f the, the past affects you and what's going to happen on your credit card bill is also stressing you. <laughs> you see what I mean? <laughs> so, so, right? so it's a very uh, interesting... The higher schools say that you could see the present as including the past and future uh, because they are functioning in the present. Okay. Mm. Then, uh, in that sense, they agree with a, a school called, called Sarvasti Vadan. So Sarvasti Vadan is the particular lineage, I think it's 18 lineages of Vinaya that we follow. Okay, So Tibetan monks are all one of 18 groups of uh, monastics that existed in ancient India. And we're all Sarvasti Vadan. Sarvasti Vadan means, Vadan means they say. Sarva means everything. Asti means is. They say everything is school. The, the they say everything is school. Uh, is what we are. That's where our monastic tradition has derived from. And the other schools like Niyokpar, like that, they have different, slightly different vows for monks. So we are following a certain tradition of ancient India, ancient Indian monasticism, which is called They Say Everything Is. And what they say everything is, is time. They say the past and the present and the future all exist now. Okay? So in that way, the, a very low school, which is an Abhidharma school, right? Vinaya school. 
they are agreeing with the higher school, and the two middle schools don't agree with them. Okay, so it's a very rare thing. Uh, why they why they say the past and present and future exist now is is all it's a different reason, right? But um, it's an interesting thing. Okay, so you have to study time. Like like mind only school would say that the past doesn't exist anymore because it's gone, and the future is yet to come. Okay, then you get into the present, right? How big is the present? moment. Uh, does it have a front end and a back end? Is part of the present moment closer to yesterday and part of the present moment is closer to tomorrow? It would have to be. Otherwise it would have no duration. If you could not divide that time into a beginning of the present moment and an end of the present moment, it could have no duration. And then you couldn't experience it. You see? It must have a length, however short. The present must have a length. The present moment must have a length to it, even if it's tiny, because there must be a part of it which is closer to yesterday and a part of it which is closer to tomorrow. If it didn't have that, and you closed it to a single point, it would have no duration, and you couldn't perceive it. You wouldn't feel time because it would be, to sh- it would be no, no length. Uh, so in the highest schools, you can examine time. If you want a definition of time, uh, check this out, okay? Present moment has to be a point in time. A point is a mathematical idea. It has no reality. There, there cannot be a point observable because you couldn't, it would never be a point, it would always be a stick, because it would have to have a beginning and an end. So it would be a point that was squished out into an oval. You see what I mean? So, uh, you cannot be perceiving present moment in Majumika. In the highest school, it's not possible that you are perceiving a present moment because it would have to have duration, and then part of it would be in the past or the future. Huh? Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. There's no such thing as a present moment. There cannot be such a thing. If it had no duration, you couldn't perceive it. If it, if it had duration, part of it would be in the past or the future. It's not possible that you are perceiving a present moment. Okay. But you are. Right? Uh, so it can't, be, it can't have an external reality. It must be coming from your mind. That's another proof for karma. It's, it's just another proof for karma. Okay? Uh, what you perceive as a present moment is coming from you. And there's no present moment out there. So in the highest school, the definition of time would be anything your karmic seeds convince you is time. Okay? No problem? (laughs) Next question. By the way, I'm not just making fun. I'm not just making fun. It's a very serious question. It's a very serious question. By the way, the fact that time...
is coming from your karmic seeds. And you know that time can be stretched, right? Time spent at the dentist and time spent kissing your girlfriend have much different duration, right? Uh, so uh, I'm not just making fun. I mean, it's a serious question. Time is... Time is... What are you calling? Uh, Malleable. It can be longer or shorter. You can experience time as longer or shorter uh, because it's coming from your own mind. Why is it relevant to us? Why do we spend time thinking about uh, the nature of time? Uh, if you want to be truly helpful to people, they say if you wanted to be a supreme physician, who's the supreme physician? It's like Lord Buddha, okay? Why? If, a phys- if you walked into a doctor's office, and they could see forward into the future and see which medicine cured you and look back in time and see which candy bar you ate six years ago that caused you to be sick right now, right? Then that would be a perfect doctor. They wouldn't be guessing about what hurt you, you know, or what caused your current kidney stone or something. They would see in the past what you ate that caused it and they would see into the future of what would help, right? If time is, exists around us, then we couldn't change it. If time is malleable or, what do you call it? Uh, if time can be longer or shorter, depending on who you're with, right? Uh, that, that's an indication that it's coming from you. Okay? and that it doesn't have an external reality. Uh, given that information, that time is coming from you, uh, you could change how you perceive time, and you could see the past and the future. You could come to see the past and the future, if you learn to meditate well, and you can. And it's a wonderful thing. It's an amazing thing. And we're not... You see, then the limits are... I'm not talking tomorrow. I'm talking 500 years, 1,000 years out. If you could sit in the Montalusia Hotel's refrigerator and uh, see uh, 500 years out, wouldn't it be an extraordinary experience? I mean, that would convert you to whatever we're doing, and it does, okay? So, uh, because that time is coming from you. Therefore, you can perceive you can, you can have a vision of what's happening in 500 years. And then how do you relate to a person who is acting on a 500-year lead time? You know, how do their actions look to you with a, with, a, with a half a millisecond lead time? You see, you're stuck in a closet. They're walking on the Gobi Plateau. You know, they, they have a completely different set of values and and reasons for doing what they do, because they are seeing 500 years ahead or 1,000 years ahead, okay? So you have to be careful with, you know, with your own teacher or whoever you're, you know. You have to be careful judging what they do and why they do things, because they may be acting on a much different uh, set of values based on, not on a single not on any of the countries that exist right now, for example, okay? 
okay. And another question. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Oh, microphone. <laughs> uh, we'll get. We'll do you after her, okay? And then we'll stop because it's five thirty. Okay. So, since I was a child um, in meditation, I've always been taught to let thoughts come and then release them. And this morning, in step three of our meditation, you talked about controlling our thoughts. Yeah. Can you reconcile that or help me understand? Yeah, okay. The, that's this... A lot of schools of meditation which are being taught in the world today, and I've been trained in them, okay, uh, many years ago in Burma from Burmese master. Okay, so in the southern countries, uh, Burma, Sri Lanka, Thailand, um, right, watching your breath and... Uh, the present moment meditation. They were very popular. What I'm trying to say is the instructions weren't complete when they went to those countries. Buddhism in Thailand, Burma, Sri Lanka is very late. It, it's only 300 years old in Thailand, for example. It's only in the 1700s that uh, Buddhism was translated into Thai language. And I helped with the computerization of it at Mahidong University in Bangkok. So I know... And uh, and it was partial. They only got partial. So there were there have developed schools of meditation, which only do those two meditations. You watch your thoughts, and you let them go, and you don't try to control them. That's a preliminary. That's a that's like uh, what do you call it? Sansayut nam surya namaskar. Right. It's just a warm up to the main thing. You see, uh, you eventually have to learn to modify uh, your thoughts because right now they are they are random and they are you know you have to learn to direct your thoughts so it's it's important and it is a traditional meditation to watch your thoughts and not mess around with them uh, and then later you're trained further to I, w- I prefer not to call it controlling your thoughts. I would say to select an object of meditation consciously, which will have a which will have a a major effect on your consciousness. You see, you select certain objects, which, when placed before the mirror of your mind, change that mirror. You see, like you put an object in front of your mind, and then the the mind reflects it like a mirror, you see? So, after we observe the mind for a while, then we select an object which is uh, highly... What do you call it? What do you call a liquid which is highly volatile? You, you pick a volatile object to place it before the mirror of the mind to be reflected in the mind because it gets embedded in the mind. <coughs> so you select certain objects of high spiritual power. And you learn to focus the mind on those. And, and that involves directing the random thoughts, you see? To bring the mind to that object, you have to learn to corral your thoughts 
towards that object. So it's not like a, an exercise in wrestling with your mind. It's uh, an exercise. You don't really fight them and block them. You kind of ride them. And you, you kind of say, wouldn't you like to think about, you know, stopping hunger in the world? And then you take those random thoughts and you, you on a, what do you call it? on an ellipsis, you coax them towards a, a th- thoughts that are uplifting and important thoughts. And then your mind changes. The nature of your mind changes. So that's, a, that's an initial step. Which came to be a whole tradition because the whole instructions didn't get to those countries. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Especially the breathing meditation. It, it came to be a whole story in itself, but it was only the warming up the car. It wasn't going anywhere. Okay, so, yeah. Okay. One more from the back, and then we have to stop. Um, you've been speaking about Kadampa for the yeah. last few days, and yeah. I'm wondering if there's a relation between that and um, something that I've heard you speak in the past about, which is calm. Like yeah. The, uh, and I want to know if there's, uh, if they happen at the same time, or if if the experience of kadam kind of is a prelude to discovering the kam. Yeah. Okay. So there's a Tibetan idea called kam, and uh, kam means your hidden talent, or you know, I I I always when I hear the word kam, I think of a vein of silver or gold. Uh, coursing through a, a large boulder, okay? So it's like inside the boulder. It's like those geode things, right? Like on the outside, you don't see anything, and then you break it open, and there's all these crystals inside. So calm is like that. So every person has inside of them, from their past lives, certain talents, hidden talents, and, and great mastery of certain things. You know, I met a guy in uh, Tokyo. He's from Sweden. He's a very beautiful man. He's we're the same age. He's fifty something. Uh, and then I, you know, we were kind of bonding because we realized we were born within a month of each other. And then uh, I said, "Well, you know, what's your story? How'd you get to Tokyo? Why do you live in Tokyo?" And he said, "Well, I was the head of American Airlines sales in New York for 20 years, you know, of, in the whole United States. He was the manager. So I said, okay, you've had a corporate life. I can appreciate that, you know. Hang on. And then I said, but how did you get to Tokyo? You know, what's that got to do with Tokyo? And he, and he was kind of shy. And then he said, well, from the time that I was 17, I've been a Japanese sword master. You know? And I'm like, whoa. And then I found out he's really pretty well known at it. You know, and he cracks people's heads open with swords and stuff. And, uh, and his whole life, 40 years, he's been a sword master. And uh, so he found his calm. That would be calm. Calm means... For some reason, in Sweden, he bumped into a Japanese sword-fighting teacher when he was 17, and he's, he's been doing it ever since. It went very well, extremely good at it. And uh, he found his calm. He bumped into his calm, you see? And, and we all have 
comes like that inside of us. And part of the purpose of this teaching and, and the retreat is to try to find, you know, your Japanese sword master calm that you don't know about. You know, like you feel sort of dissatisfied sometimes, you know, like I think there's something great in my life that I was supposed to do. Or I'd like to be like that guy, you know, to find the special thing that he's really good at. And, and that's the purpose of these teachings. We're going to try to help you find it, okay? It may be something really miraculous and wonderful, okay? Um, <laughs> hang on. Uh, so that's come. And then Kadampa is a little bit different. Kadampa means stuff happens to you. Incoming missiles. What do you call it? What do they call it in the military? Inco they just call it incoming. <laughs> they say incoming and you duck and you hold your head or, you know. They say incoming means a missile, uh, uh, artillery is coming down on you, you know, and you jump and you hide under something. Okay, so incoming means uh, stuff, stuff is incoming at you, right? Stuff comes to you. People say things. You see things on the internet. Uh, you read things on the headlines. Uh, you pick up a book in a bookstore and you, and you see something, right? The experience of that striking you as personal advice from a divine source is Kadampa. Okay? So I think we can do that uh, both ways thing. If you have Kadampa, do you have calm? You have a calm for that. Okay? So you can say that a kadampa is one calm, right? Uh, if you have calm, do you have kadampa? Not necessarily. Okay? If you're a Japanese sword master, it's not necessarily the case that, you know, when you're on the subway and see a sign in Japanese, it strikes you as personal spiritual advice. Okay? Got it? So you can always play that game with two ideas to see if they are kyapa go tsung. We call kyapa go tsung in Tibetan. Does the kyaba go both ways? Is it true that it's, if it's a calm, it's a, if it's a calm, is it necessarily a kadampa? No. If it's a kadampa, is it necessarily a calm? Yes. Because if, if that happens to you, you must have a calm for it. Got it? It may not be your only calm. Okay? If the sword master gets personal advice, he, he has two calms. Got it? Okay? All right. Whew. All right. Uh, then I have a request, okay? Uh, we would like to practice this song that we're going to play tomorrow night. We are shy to practice in front of other people because we often argue. And uh, <laughs> so we like to practice in private. So we're going to ask if you could hang out for 45 minutes. Uh, we've... You can be in the, what do you call that place? On the other side of those doors. But we've also, have we? There's a chapel that you're welcome to go meditate in or hang out in and be quiet, okay? Uh, so after this teaching, after now, in, like within 10, 15 minutes, could you, uh, you know, whatever you need for the next 45 minutes, like uh, take it out there and then don't listen too closely. 
through the doors because it, you may be shocked. Okay, all right. Thank you. Uh, let's do a let's do a mandala. Uh, Darcy, you ready? Mm-hmm. 